Welcome to the Proverbs 910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth. We're your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Rose Spiller and Chris Paxson. We're in the home stretch of our series, The Best Sermon Ever, with only two episodes left. We've titled today's episode, Proceed with Caution. We're going to cover Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 20. Chris, theologian John Stott has called the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm quoting, one of the most rich and interesting yet misunderstood sections of sacred scripture. This sermon is one of the most studied, quoted, yet also ignored chapters of God's word. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known part of teaching of Jesus, though arguably it is the least understood and certainly it is the least obeyed. Yeah, I think we'd both agree with that. I hope we've shed some light on scriptural truth on a lot of parts of the Sermon on the Mount that are often misunderstood. And today, we're going to look at another part that often gets misinterpreted. And maybe it's those misunderstandings that's led to it being ignored and disobeyed. As we begin to look at Matthew 7, starting in verse 13, we see that now that Jesus has laid out what he expects of us as believers, he's wrapping up his sermon. But just like when most pastors say, I'm going to finish up in their sermons, Jesus still has a lot to say. (laughs) Hmm? He does. So let's read Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Chris, at first read, it appears as if Jesus is asking us to choose whether or not we want to follow him. Hmm. And again, (laughs) since it's God who chooses who will follow Jesus and who won't, we know that can't be what it means. So let's begin by putting this scripture in the proper context. Those God chooses, the Holy Spirit will at some point in their life regenerate their hearts and they will come to know Jesus. And just one of the many verses we see this in is 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, which says, But we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Okay. I think between last episode and this episode, we've made the point of Scripture that Jesus is not asking people to make the choice whether or not to follow. What he is doing is showing that there's only two path alternatives for every human being. God is the one who chooses which path a person will be on. Jesus is showing his people which path they could have been on, the wide path, had God not put them on the narrow path. In addition, Jesus is telling his people what to expect on the narrow path that they've been put on. Jesus' use of the narrow road and broad road are probably metaphors that the listeners would have understood. During this time, there were public roads that were roughly 24 feet wide, and there were private roads that were roughly 6 feet wide. And as their name suggests, the public roads gave access to anyone, and the private were only for certain people. You know, it blows my mind that God plans and uses everything for his purpose. Yep. You know, the people built these roads back then, they had no idea they were building an illustration lesson for Jesus to <laughs> use to explain the soul condition that's of a, every person who's ever lived. Yeah, that's a great point. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 lays out each path. The narrow road is the tougher road and less traveled. On it, 
Believers are called to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. The broader, more traveled path is seemingly the easier way. These two paths are the only two options. People on the narrow path say to God, Thy will be done. People on the broad road say, My will be done. The first is the road that leads to life, and the latter is the way that leads to destruction. Chris, let's take a look at this broad path. The people on this path are dead in their sins. Either they haven't yet had their hearts regenerated, or they're never going to have it regenerated. These people are Lord of their own lives. That's why it's seemingly the easier path. I mean, what's easier than calling all your own shots about your life? However, Jesus says it leads to destruction. And that's because people on this path are still slaves to their sin nature. There's nothing in them that desires a relationship with Jesus. That doesn't mean that there aren't decent people on this path. We all know some. We all know. We we do. We know good moral people that aren't saved. But any moral compass that they have, that someone on this path has, is of their own making and can therefore be erratic or inconsistent. And it's certainly not God-glorifying. You know, they could all be, I mean, different. <laughs> they all have different morals if That's they really right. think about That's it. True. At some point, they don't even agree on the path. You're, you're uh, absolutely, and we see that. Yep. We see that full force now. Not only does the condition of the people on the broad path wreak havoc and cause problems in their lives on earth, If their conditions not change, it's ultimately going to lead to hell. Yeah. In contrast to the broad path, there's the narrow path. People on this path have had their hearts regenerated and are saved. However, we should note that while all those on this path are saved, they're not necessarily at the same point in their sanctification or their spiritual maturity. The narrow path is the tougher path for sure because we have to give control of our life over to God. That's not easy for anybody. No. Jesus needs to be the Lord of their lives. For those of us on this road, there should be no picking and choosing of some of Jesus' teachings and commands while ignoring and rejecting others. All of Jesus' teachings, and in fact, all of the 613 laws of the Old Testament, including the Ten Commandments, are summed up in the two commands Jesus gives in Luke 10, 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we mentioned these last in the last episode, but we're going to talk about them again. Jesus gives us two commands on this path. Doesn't sound like a lot. It doesn't sound like a lot. But he only gave Adam and Eve one. And they couldn't follow and that. Couldn't so. know it. That's Hello. true. And we don't do any better with two. Because we need to look at these two commands in light of everything that we do, we think, and believe in. There are Christians who will say they believe and follow Jesus' teaching of loving the people around them. But they think Jesus went too far, or maybe he didn't really mean it, when he said they have to love people who hate you. Chris, this is nonsense. Yeah, I know. Jesus didn't say, here's my commands, you decide which ones you want to follow and how you want to interpret them. And we see this in John 14, 15, where it says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. We need to give complete control of our life over to Jesus. And like you said, it's not easy. And we blow it many, many times for sure. We do. But when we consciously make the choice every day that Jesus is Lord of all of our life, it's part of our sanctification and it matures our faith. And if all that wasn't tough enough, being on this path can lead to persecution and death. Doesn't get much tougher than that. And I think that's why Jesus is telling his disciples that because they're going to face it. Absolutely. Jesus said the narrow road, while the harder road, is the road that leads to life. It is the right, life-giving, and fulfilling way. 
This stands in direct contrast to what liberal theology says. Liberal theology sees the narrow road as described by Jesus as being narrow-minded, life-depriving, bigoted, and arrogant. Then, try to broaden the narrow road by downplaying the sovereignty of God and the authority and inerrancy of the Bible. And this isn't just a condition of today, though. No, it's been around for all time. And for an example, in 1887, Charles Spurgeon wrote an article entitled The Downgrade. This turned into the famous downgrade controversy. In a series of articles, Spurgeon and his fellow pastor, Robert Schindler, called out pastors and church leaders for straying from the inerrancy and authority of scripture, downgrading the sovereignty of God and preaching liberalism. Instead of giving the truth to the Bible, they were preaching moral lessons. Sermons were less about spiritual matters and more about worldly wisdom and behaving better. Hmm, sounds like today. Mm-hmm. In summary, the churches were conforming to a changing liberal society that didn't want to hear about being under the control of a sovereign God. They weren't interested in absolutes or biblical doctrine. And as a result, in order to stay relevant, pastors and church leaders began to soften and then change their theological positions. Spurgeon received backlash from the liberalists for these articles. The reaction against Spurgeon from the opposing side, it was merciless. At the annual Baptist Union meeting in 1888, representatives from the churches of the Union voted 2007 to modify the organization's statement of faith to reflect a moderate theological position between those on the conservative evangelical side and those on the liberal side. Spurgeon's own brother, for the sake of keeping the denomination together, which is a horrible reason to do this, orchestrated setting up the new theological guidelines. And shortly after this, Spurgeon became ill and he died. And his wife said that she attributed the situation that was going on that made him sick and made him die trying to fight it. Hmm. Chris, this section of scripture ends with the words, only a few find it. And this correlates with Matthew twenty-two fourteen that says many are called, but few are chosen. And Jesus said these words in Matthew 22 after he tells the parable of the wedding feast. In short, he's saying that while a general call of the gospel goes out and it should go out to all, only a few are chosen by God to be one of his people. However, remember, it's not for us to decide or even worry about who's chosen. Our job is to put the general call of the gospel out to as many as we can and let God handle the rest. Amen to that. Rose, let's move on to Matthew seven fifteen to 20. In this section, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You know, there's an old mafia saying that goes, Trust someone until they give you a reason not to. And maybe it's my Italian heritage, but I admit that that's pretty much how I live my life, and that's my motto. My husband, on the other hand, who was a police officer for over 30 years, lives by the motto, be cautious of everyone until you see evidence otherwise. As we looked at Matthew 7, 4-5 earlier, Jesus' motto seemed to be 
Don't be so quick to judge others. You're far from perfect yourself. But here, only 10 verses later, it appears that Jesus has a different motto about judgment when it comes to false prophets and false teachers. The Google Dictionary definition of prophet is a proclaimer of the will of God. Good job, Google. <laughs> Got that one right. It goes on to list synonyms for the word as soothsayer, fortune teller, and clairvoyant. Ugh. Ugh, wrong, Google. <laughs> Got that one wrong. Got those wrong. While sometimes biblical prophets foretold future events, this type of prophecy called apocalyptic prophecy makes up less than 5% of all the prophecy in the Bible, with less than 1% about events still in our future. Most often, prophets relate a message from God to a specific people group, and this group was usually the Israelites, who were divided into the northern nation of Israel and the southern nation of Judah. The lion's share of these messages to the two Israelite nations pertain to judgment, their current or near future circumstances, and future hope for encouragement. But sometimes the prophets had a message for the Israelites' enemies. Their messages were prophecies of judgment, punishment, and the destruction of the foes of God. And Chris, it's important to note that the prophets spoke only what God told them to speak. They never added anything to their message. Some other religions, while not believing that Jesus is the Son of God, will acknowledge him as a prophet. Islam, for example. Right. Every word out of Jesus' mouth was a message from God because Jesus didn't just speak for God. He spoke as God. Amen. But in contrast, a false prophet is someone who does not speak a message from God. Some passages of scripture use false prophets and false teachers interchangeably. Therefore, when Jesus speaks of false prophets, it applies to false teachers as well. This makes perfect sense. The Bible is God's message to his people. Just as false prophets speak what isn't from God, a false teacher teaches what isn't from God's word. Absolutely. Jesus calls these false prophets or teachers ferocious wolves in sheep clothing ready to devour us. While he's speaking about false prophets in a general sense, He's also saying this right after his narrative on the two gates and two paths that we looked at. The two narratives are related. False prophets or teachers will try to keep you from the narrow gate and lead you towards the wide gate. In other words, they're going to try and lead you away from Jesus to your destruction. Scripture is full of warnings about false prophets and false teachers. Ezekiel 13, 1-7, Jeremiah 23, 13-7, and here's one from 1 John 4, 1-6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, but by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So why does Jesus call false prophets wolves in sheep's clothing? Sheep are used throughout scripture as an allegory for the chosen people of God. For example, 1 Peter 2.25, which says, 
For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wolves were one of the shepherd's biggest headaches. They were always trying to get in the sheep pen to kill and eat the sheep. Jesus uses real life situations as an allegory for our situation. Luke records Paul using the same theme in Acts 20 verses 28 to 30, which says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The wolf will be dressed in sheep's clothing to gain access to the sheep pen. These false teachers and prophets will look like sheep. In other words, they will appear to be Christians. The warning is clear. It's not from the outside unbelieving world that these posers will come. They come from within the body of believers, within the church. False prophets and teachers will have enough truth in what they're saying that many are going to be swayed to think that they're truly speaking for God. However, the lies that their message contains is going to lead to destruction and will lead to destruction. This is exactly how Satan works. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, his discourse with Eve contained truth, but he twisted it just enough so that it led Adam and Eve to sin against God. Rose, this is why knowing scripture is crucial. It's only when we know the true word of God that we can spot the subtle lies we're being told by Satan Christian evangelists, Bible study authors, churches, or any other false teachers that we may come in contact with who say they have a word from God, but are really teaching or preaching heresy, which is a belief, opinion, or doctrine that's contrary to scripture. That's right. We should tell people they should know scripture. We should. We never do that. We'll have to put that in an episode. (laughs) Yeah, we should. Besides knowing scripture, Jesus tells us in the verses we read from Matthew 7 that another way to spot false prophets is to examine the fruit they produce. Bad trees produce bad fruit. If you look at the works of a false prophet or teacher, you'll be able to see through them. Are they preaching the true gospel? What are they saying about Jesus? Do they exhibit characteristics that glorify God? Are they backing up their teaching or preaching with scripture Or are they putting their own creative spin on things? Where does their message ultimately lead you? Well, let's go through some of these. The first one, Jim Jones. He was an ordained minister. He preached that socialism was God's will. (laughs) He claimed he was God's agent and set up a commune called the People's Temple, first in the U.S. and then he did it in Guyana. Media reports began to come out saying that abuse, rape, and incest were taking place within his camp. As the authorities were on their way to dismantle the camp and make arrests, Jim Jones had 918 of his followers, including 304 children, drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. Some did it willingly. Some were forced to. All of them died. Mm. David Koresh claimed to be the final prophet of God. Like Jim Jones, he said God's will was that he set up a commune. The Branch Davidians, you may remember them. Mm. And they lived separate from the world in a town in Texas. Also like Jones, reports of human abuses began to come out of the commune. During a standoff with the FBI, David Koresh shot and killed some of his followers, including five children, and had the other followers blow up their compound, ultimately killing 79 people. 
Andy Stanley's probably a familiar name, as much for his own ministry as for his famous father, Charles Stanley. Andy Stanley used to be pretty conservative in his theology. However, recently he stated that we need to unhitch the Old Testament from our faith. That's crazy. It is crazy. And it, Jesus just said he came to fulfill it. Yeah, exactly. In an attempt to reach people, so-called Christians, who walked away from their faith because they didn't like or didn't agree with something, mostly from the Old Testament, he proclaims that while the Old Testament is divinely inspired, it's not the basis of Christianity. Stanley called the Old Testament, quote, the backstory for the main story, and goes on to say, while it's important, it's also violent, disturbing, and offends all of our modern senses. So let's just unhitch it. That's right. Right? I mean, seriously. That's just, that's horrible. If it's a trigger, get rid of it. Yes. Oh, gosh. Uh, Here's another one, a name you probably know, Bill Johnson. He was the senior pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. They're a famous Word of Faith church. Recently, there was a two-year-old girl named Olive who died, and they started a movement called Hashtag Wake Up Olive. Bill Johnson and Bethel Church, as we said, are part of Word of Faith. They subscribe to the doctrine that not only can God heal, but that it's always his will to heal everyone when believers have enough faith and use the power of their words. Olive's parents, being part of Bethel Church, believe this wholeheartedly. Bill Johnson told them if they had enough faith and used the power words, God would resurrect their daughter from the dead. Well, after six days of quote-unquote having faith and speaking the words of power, they finally had to start planning Allah's memorial service. That's just horrible. I'm sorry, but that's just horrible. Let's give another one here. T.D. Jakes. He's a best-selling quote-unquote Christian author and pastor. He's associated with oneness Pentecostalism. But not only does he teach the prosperity gospel and positive thinking, both of which are total heresy and wrong, he also believes in modalism, which is a belief that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not three distinct persons of the Godhead, but are instead different modes of existence of God. In other words, he believes God the Father manifested himself as Jesus eventually, and then Jesus the Son, and then eventually manifested as the Holy Spirit. T.D. Jakes used to be a frequent speaker, maybe still is, on Dr. Phil. Mm -hmm. But modalism is wrong. There are three distinct Godheads. This totally goes against what the Bible teaches. Absolutely. Trinity Broadcasting Network, if you've ever heard of it, is a popular venue for false teachers. They announced recently that they were getting rid of one well-known false teacher, Kenneth Copeland, good for them, but they're replacing him with another hugely popular false teacher, Stephen Furtick, from Elevation Church. And yes, that's where Elevation Worship comes out of. Not only does Furtick also believe in modalism, like T.D. Jakes, he recently stated that what God creating us in his image means is that God needed someone to show the world what he looked like or else he would have just been a concept. God would have been an abstract theory. So Furtick is claiming God really needs us. Yeah, he needs us or else he wouldn't exist. That's terrible. (laughs) Tony Alamo founded the Alamo Christian Foundation. Members preach their version of the gospel on the street and invite potential new members in for a meal and a meeting with the church. Tony Alamo was sent to prison 
after it was discovered he was sex trafficking children through his foundation. Mm. Makes me sick. Yeah, that's some rotten fruit. Uh, Here's one of my least favorite people. Rob Bell is a pastor and noted youth speaker. He created a series of videos, which some of you may have seen. They were on topical discussions and they were based on scriptural principles. Hundreds of youth groups across the country used these DVDs. And Rob Bell made a lot of money from them. But he made even more money from his recent best-selling book in which he declared hell doesn't even actually exist. Yeah, and he's only one of the few that says that. Okay, here's the deal. We should examine anyone who's in a position of teaching us, whether directly or through a book, or anyone who has biblical authority over us by asking the questions that you mentioned earlier, Rose. Are they preaching the true gospel? What are they saying about Jesus? Do they exhibit characteristics that glorify God? Are they backing up their teaching and preaching with scripture, or are they putting their own creative spin on things? Where does this message ultimately lead you? And we might feel like we're being too suspicious, but there's too much at stake not to be. Besides, one who's truly teaching and preaching the Word of God will pass our scrutiny and probably respect us for being so diligent. I know we respect when, I people, know we do. when people ask us our credentials and why do we know what, what we say is true. Right. False teachers and prophets is a reoccurring theme in scripture. Jeremiah 23, 16, for example, says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. There's also references in Matthew 24, 24, 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4, and many other places. We pray that you will take the time to meditate on Matthew 7, 13 to 20, as well as all the other scriptures supporting what Jesus taught in these verses. But we need to end here for today. Thanks for tuning in. And if you haven't done so already, grab a copy of our book and study guide, No Half Truths Allowed. You can get a private link to 11 additional teaching videos when you buy both. Just message us and let us know when you have. Have a blessed day.